Welcome to Stories of Iceland. At the height of activity, there was worldwide coverage of the earthquakes and pending volcanic eruption in Grindavík. What has happened since is a waiting game. Not much is happening. This doesn't mean that everything is fine. The danger is less, but it isn't gone. No one has been allowed to return except to gather their belongings at predetermined times. There has been extensive damage to the town. While the rock beneath moved quickly, the ground, the soil, reacted slowly over weeks. The buildings haven't collapsed, but many have structural damage that is almost impossible to repair. There are thousands of people being shoveled around, between friends and families, trying to find a place to stay without knowing when or even if they can return to their homes. Literally, while I was recording this, a volcanic eruption started near Grindavik, closer to the Blue Lagoon. The town doesn't seem to be in danger, but events are unfolding. If you are using an Android device, you might have been using the Google Podcast app which is in the process of being phased out. I want to recommend a replacement. I use an app called AntennaPod. It is the best podcast app I have ever used, and it has the added feature of not spying on users. I also wanted to remind you that podcasts run on a protocol called RSS, or really simple syndication. If you support me or other podcasters on Patreon, you can go to your membership tab to access a special link to an RSS feed. In real podcast apps, the process is just a matter of copy-paste. In AntennaPod, you can go to the Add Podcast section And below the search box, there is the option to add podcasts by RSS. I wanted to mention RSS because our current online world is dominated by large companies and their algorithms. People need to know that there are alternatives. Podcasts are... RSS files with information and links to audio files. If you didn't know this, it is because RSS is really simple when done right. This protocol wasn't made for podcasts. It was made for tracking updates on blogs and news sites. And there are dedicated RSS apps available on all platforms. Public service announcement over. 
This episode includes quite a few deaths and one instance of animal cruelty. There aren't any gory details, but I thought it better to mention this beforehand. If you want to help me focus more of my energy towards this podcast, please support me on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. I'd like to thank all my supporters, especially Brianna, a friend of the podcast. Join them at patreon.com slash Stories of Iceland. There is extra material there. You can also go to storiesoficeland.com and support me through PayPal, sadly without any of the benefits as of yet. But this is Stories of Iceland, and this is episode 54 Home Alone. Iceland is in the North Atlantic. Its capital city is Reykjavik. The hidden folk come out at liminal times. The most important of these is Yuletide. We have quite a few Icelandic folk tales about dealing with the elves at this time of year. Though, when you read them all, they mostly seem to be the same three stories. I already covered one type in episode 15, Queen of the Elves, so this episode is dedicated to the other two. These tales might in fact be thought of as a variation on a single type of tale. Of course, not all these stories are the same. In some cases, elements from two or more types of stories have been mixed into one. It is impossible to classify every story as belonging to a single category. The types of tale which I am dedicating this episode to deal with the same situation, but there are usually three elements that differentiate them. More on that later. To decide which iteration of these tales I was going to include in this episode... I read all that I could find. Most of them are completely interchangeable. But instead of selecting the most typical, I wanted the most interesting ones. The problem was that there was not a single story of either type which included all my favorite elements. So I cheated. Usually I just work with one version of a tale. In rare cases I insert a short disclaimer that others say 
something happened a different way. In this episode, I inserted elements from other versions of the stories without breaking the flow with such a disclaimer. I will mention these changes after I've told the tales. Before I start, I must remind you that in Iceland, the nights around Yuletide are very long. For context, it is also important to remember that dancing and merrymaking were seen as sinful. The religious fervor of Lutheran piety, which had been burning in Iceland in the aftermath of the Reformation, was dying down when these tales were being collected. But the echoes are still there. The Worker and the Yuletide Visitors Once upon a time, there was a rich farmer. The farm was large and impressive, and the main living quarters had paneling from floor to ceiling. There was, however, a shadow over this household, because whoever was left behind, while the rest of the people went to church at Yuletide, died before the others had returned. So no one wanted to be the one left behind. At one point the farmer hired, as he often did, a new shepherd. The farmer was honest about the unfortunate incidents at the farm, but the man declared that they were complete humbug. When time came for the yearly Yuletide Mass, all the household prepared themselves for church, except the new shepherd. When the farmer encouraged the man to start getting ready, he replied that they shouldn't leave the farm empty or the animals uncared for. The farmer asked him to pay that no mind. Every living thing inside the farmhouse would be killed, and he could not risk the man's life. The shepherd replied that this was all superstitious nonsense, and proclaimed that he wanted to discover the truth of the matter for himself. When the farmer saw that the man wouldn't listen, he went off with the rest of the household, leaving the other behind to face his fate. At this point the shepherd began his preparations. He lit the lights in the main room so that it was quite bright. Then he searched for a place to hide. He managed to loosen two pieces of the panel and squeezed himself into the space behind. Then he maneuvered the pieces back in place but made certain that there was a crack which he could use to look upon what was to take place. Meanwhile, his dog lay under one of the beds. After a short while, he sees two strangers, rather ugly, enter the main room. They look around, then one said, Human smell! Human smell! The other replied, No, there is no human here. 
they took a light and searched the room from top to bottom, and finally discovered the dog. They dragged it from under the bed and promptly snapped its neck and removed it from the room. The worker felt quite relieved that he had not been discovered by these men. Afterwards, the room filled with people. They set up for a party. There were tablecloths upon which sat cups, dishes, bowls, and knives, all made of silver. Then the people commenced eating, drinking, and dancing throughout the night. While this was going on, two men were appointed as guards to watch out for humans and the coming of the dawn. They went outside three times and always reported that everything was good. When they returned for the third time and proclaimed that it was still night, the shepherd tore open the panels and screamed as loud as he could, "'You lie! It's dawn! It's dawn!' The man kept screaming, It's dawn, as chaos reigned. The strangers fought each other to get out. Many were hurt, and some were even trampled under. They left behind all their belongings. The man followed them, screaming, Dawn! Dawn! And he saw that they fled towards and then into a nearby lake. That is when he realized that these were merfolk. Afterwards, the man returned to the farm, dragged the dead outside, and killed those who were only half dead. He then burnt the bodies and proceeded to gather all the treasures left behind. When the farmer returned with his household, the shepherd told him of all that had occurred. They shared the treasure equally between them, and lived out their lives as wealthy men. From that time onward, there were no more happenings at Yuletide at the farm. This story is a bit different than most versions of the tale, because it includes merfolk, not elves. Categories of supernatural creatures are fluid, ever-changing. I think I can safely refer to merfolk as hidden people and would argue that they might very well be thought of as water elves. Though I should note that there are stories with creatures referred to as merfolk who are more differentiated from elves than those who appear in this story. The inclusion of merfolk rather than elves makes me wonder if this story might at some point have been connected to a specific place and a nearby lake. I promised I would mention the element I changed in my retelling of this story. The written tale says that the shepherd simply yelled, it's day, while most other versions include the exchange where the guards say it is still night before the shepherd interferes. 
Now it is time for the second tale. The Elves and the Virtuous Young Woman Once upon a time there were a well-to-do husband and wife in the south of Iceland. They had two daughters. The older was much loved by them, while the younger, whose name was Helga, was always treated with disdain. At every Yuletide Eve, all the inhabitants went to church, except one who was left behind to look after the house. Unfortunately, every year, on the morning of Yule Day, the household returned to find this person dead. One year it was decided that the daughter Helga would be the one left behind at the farm. She was ordered to milk the cows, look after the livestock, and boil the smoked mutton, so it would be ready for the feast on Yule Day. Her parents left saying that if she were to die during the night, it would be no great loss, and she wouldn't be missed. So, when the others left for church, Helga is alone. She begins by attending to the animals. Next, she thoroughly sweeps the house, and then she starts to boil the meat. When the meat is almost done, she sees a child enter the kitchen with a wooden bowl. The child greets her and asks if she could put some meat in the bowl. Even though her mother had strictly forbidden her to have any of the food for herself, while the others were away, Helga decides to give a piece to this small visitor. The child then bids goodbye and leaves her alone. Time passes and Helga finishes her chores. Then she lights a candle and takes off her shoes and sits in her parents' bed, reading a book. After a while, she hears a great noise outside and notices that the farm is filling up with so many visitors that she can hardly move. When the people have set everything up, they begin their festivities with games and other joyful activities. The people don't mind Helga. In fact, they act as if they can't see her, as if she wasn't really there. When she feels the time has come to milk the cows, she finds that she can't get past the crowd. One elderly man, bigger than the rest, sporting a magnificent beard, calls out and bids the strangers to move aside so Helka can pick up her shoes and pass through. The people do as he bids. She goes outside in the dark, having left the light with the people. When she enters the cow shed, she notices that someone is in there. He invites her to join him in the hay, but Helga flatly refuses, even when the request has been repeated several times. Then he leaves, but Helga keeps milking. Once again she is greeted, now by a woman who enters the building. The newcomer thanks Helga kindly for the way she has treated her child, as well as for denying her husband's advances. 
as he says this, she gives Helga a parcel of clothes and asks her to accept this for these two favors she has done. I presume, says the newcomer, that within this parcel are clothes that you would be honored to wear, as well as a belt that will give you no shame. Then she adds, You will have a bishop for a husband. Take care of the clothes and do not wear them until you are married. Helga receives the parcel and gives her thanks for the gift. Now the woman leaves while Helga returns to the farm after she finishes her duties. Once again she sits in the bed and begins to read her book. As the morning draws closer, the people start to leave, never again acknowledging her presence. When she is alone, she opens the parcel and sees that the elf woman has given her expensive clothes. Most impressive of all is the belt. Now Helga does all the chores for Yule Day morning and has finished them when the people return from church. Her parents say, It figures that she lived since no one would have missed her if she were gone. She is asked how things went, but obfuscates everything, though she does show the clothes to the others. Everyone admires them, especially the belt. Both Helga's mother and sister desired what she had been given, saying that these were much too fine for her. She did not relent and instead carefully put the clothes away in her chest. Nothing of note happened until the next Yuletide. Both Helga's mother and sister wanted to receive gifts from the elves and fought over who would stay behind. In the end, the lady of the house won the argument and was left alone while the others went to church. Nothing is said about what happened next until the lady of the house was spoiling the meat. Again the child entered the kitchen and asked for a piece. She said no. When the little one tried to hand the bowl to the woman, she became furious and beat the child's arm so hard that it broke. The child picked up the bowl with the other hand and left the kitchen crying. Time passed and, as before, the farmhouse filled up with people making merry. When the woman went to milk the cows, she was greeted by a man who invited her to join him in the hay. The woman accepted the offer and went to him. After the man had left, the farmer's wife heard someone else enter. The visitor was a woman. The newcomer walked up to the other and touched her hand, saying, You used this hand to beat my child and stroke my husband. It will never be of use to you again. At once the hand began to wither. When the others returned from church, they found the woman almost insensible in the cowshed. Her hand had become useless, and she just managed to tell them what happened, but died soon afterwards. The farmhouse itself had been trashed. The furniture had been broken and food strewn across the floor. But afterwards, no one noticed anything out of the usual during Yuletide at the farm. Of Helga, it is said that she stayed with her father for a few years before she went to Skalholt to marry the bishop. 
though no one can recall which bishop this was. At the wedding, she wore the clothes from the elf woman and was admired by all. The belt was agreed to be the most precious thing that anyone had ever seen. Helga remained fortunate for the rest of her long life. And I don't know more of this tale. As I mentioned before, in this episode I gave in to the temptation that folklore collectors always seem to warn against by merging different tales. Of course, manuscripts reveal that these collectors themselves, even the Brothers Grimm, usually massaged their tales to make them a little smoother, sometimes adding elements from other sources or even making up something of their own. The story of Helga is my favorite tale of this type, but it actually left out the trope which is found in most of the others. As it is written, Helga's mother is simply beaten when she breaks the child's arm. In most other versions, the punishment follows the scene where the woman gives in to the advances of the man, and the punishment is usually in the form of a withered arm. There are other interesting differences between tales of this type. In one version, the mother discovers the clothes and declares them much too good for her daughter and sells them to a rich woman only to have the elf woman repeatedly return the clothes to their rightful owner. There are versions with happier endings where the farmer's wife survives, though still injured, and repents treating her daughter so badly. The protagonist accepts her apologies and then takes care of the mother in old age and infirmary. In some versions we see the true spirit of Lutheran piety when the virtuous young woman refuses to take part in the merrymaking while her counterpart dances with the elves, only to break her leg in the process. Before, I mentioned that I felt that these two types of tales could be thought of as subtypes of the same category. After hearing them, you likely understand what I meant. Stories in this category start by telling us the fate of those left alone on a farm, while the rest of the household goes to Yuletide Mass. Then our protagonist is left alone but survives and gains treasure. If you listen to episode 15 about the Queen of Elves, you will notice that it is also a close relation to these types of stories. But what are the three elements that differentiate between the two types of tales I included in this episode? The first and most important is gender. One type usually has a male protagonist, the other a female one. This isn't universal, but there are only a few tales that defy this norm. Gender also goes a long way to explain the other differences. It goes without saying that gender influences the type of rewards the hero receives for their survival. Men get wealth, women get clothes. 
The second element is how the protagonist survives. The men are cunning and daring. The women are virtuous and dutiful. They spend the nights doing their chores and reading. The men usually volunteer to spend the night alone, while the women tend to be coerced in some way. These women are usually either workers that aren't deemed valuable or less favored daughters. The third element is the comeuppance, which is almost exclusively found in the tales involving a female protagonist. Sometime after the events of Yuletide, the rewards are discovered. Usually this happens by accident or because of snooping. This often occurs during the summer when the virtuous woman is airing out her new clothes. The second woman, usually the farmer's wife, but sometimes a daughter, is unworthy. She is greedy, mean, and promiscuous. If Walt Disney had animated this story, she would be an evil stepmother. Contrast this with the male version, in which the farmers are usually quite concerned about leaving their worker alone. So the antagonists of the stories involving men are the hidden folk. In the other type, the elves are almost neutral. They only react to the misdeeds of the unworthy women, who are the true antagonists of the tales. The elves aren't doing random acts of murder, but simply punishing the unworthy woman for her behavior. This, no doubt, mirrors the views of society at the time, but it is important to remember that, in general, folktales were collected by men, selected by men, edited by men, and published by men, who assumed that the books would be bought by men, which begs the question, what tales did the women tell when the men weren't around? In conclusion, we can say that gender is the difference between these types of stories, but when talking about folktales, it is always tempting to include an arbitrary triad. That is it for today. Thanks to Oscar Giesbricht, Sean Pitcherton, Jay Snooston, Weidavon Helstare, Emily Cooper, Evan Williams, Jon Helgeson, and all my other supporters. Special thanks to Brianna, a friend of the podcast. I am Olgnis Soljason, and this has been Stories of Iceland, episode 54, Home Alone. Glele Jol, Ölsömmel.